Welcome to Geek on Film with your hosts, Robbie Holmes and John Hoche. Hey there, folks. Welcome to episode 22 of Geek on Film. This is Robbie. Hey, guys. It's John. How are you? This is exciting. So uh, if you're listening to this as it comes out, Merry Christmas. Uh, We're recording this a little bit early. It should be in your feed a little early, which is really exciting. Um, But today uh, we are going to be reviewing Babylon uh, as our main review. Uh, And we sort of wanted to try to get this out there early because it seems like there's not a lot of other podcasts, which is really exciting. So we're going to try to get through this. Uh, We have a few things to talk about beforehand, but I think it's going to be a very Babylon heavy episode. Um, we'll jump straight into some television. I am one more episode through Wednesday. I, I'm now at the point where, uh, so you're on Thursday. Next, I, I'm almost at Thursday. Uh, I think uncle Fester shows up in the next episode. Uh, uh yeah, it, it's so we're getting so close. I, I'm, I, I hope I'm not disappointed because I feel like I've just been waiting for that the whole time. Like I, once I, I heard who it was, I was like, Oh God, I can't wait. This is going to be amazing. Yeah. Uh, you won't be disappointed, but, uh, but I, I, I th- I feel like after that prom dance, like yeah, it it gets a little like it goes a little downhill from there, but you know it, it'll finish it'll finish okay. So uh, you're in for epi- good you're getting a, a good ride. The current episode is the surprise birthday party, which is really cute, and you know just yes. uh, the the cracking of Wednesday and Enid uh, and how uh, Enid made her a snoot like all that stuff is really cute like the mm. the back and forth and, and seeing a little bit of the cracking of the facade and that Wednesday actually likes Enid uh, is really fun have you gotten to the episode where they quote unquote watch a scary movie no okay cool never mind then <laughs> there's, there's an episode where they quote unquote watch maybe this uh, the scariest movie for in Wednesday's view that could oh. happen so uh oh it's probably like Wizard of Oz or something like that. Um, all right, cool. Let's, no spoilers. Let's jump into uh, some films that we watched this week. So, uh, John, kick us off with one of these amazing uh, Christmas movies. So yeah, so we are we, we're I don't I don't know if Robbie said, but we're filming this a little early because uh, the it's the holiday week. So um, I'm kind of well, I've kind of been in a holiday mood the whole. The whole month. Been I mean, you went Christmas. from spooky season to mistletoe, buddy. So I did, but I kind of kept spooky season in my heart because I was watching a lot of scary Christmas movies, which are kind of I'm finding like I, I, I'm enjoying them more than the Hallmark movies. But uh, <laughs> I digress. Um, one of the first movies I watched this week was Violent Night. I finally got to see it. Um, this is currently in theaters, but now a Christmas gift to everybody. Um, the studio has released it for um, rental or purchase uh, on any of your streaming services like Amazon Prime or app or uh, iTunes or whatnot. You can you can buy it or rent it. Um, so I checked it out. This is um, this is the movie that uh, where uh, David Harbour who um, you'll know from Stranger Things. He was also in the newest Hellboy movies, um, the ones that Ron Perlman is not in. Yep. Um, he was also in um, uh, Black the Black Widow movie. He's a, I, I really enjoy his work. Um, he has one of the best episodes of Hot Ones on YouTube where he eats hot wings. Um, but anyway, in this movie, he plays Santa, and he's a fantastic Santa. And this is like an an R-rated action comedy 
And uh, the the long of the short is that um, John Leguizamo is the villain, and he um, he invades this person's this rich woman's home who has lots of money, and her whole family's there on Christmas Day. Um, and Santa just happens to be delivering presents at the same time, and he gets wrapped up in this kind of kill the uh, you know kill the terrorists hijackers and save the family what i i mean if 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 i didn't say the word santa we're talking <laughs> about die hard here so yes. it's it's pretty much you know everyone says die hard is a christmas movie and now you have the official santa die hard version um but but there are also elements of home alone in this there are elements i like the, we're living in a a, a debt like a, a we're living in a post Deadpool world where uh, R-rated comedies, R-rated action comedies are much like the Deadpool movies. So here you have very gratuitous violence, uh some some in- insane kills done by Santa Claus. Um but you know it it's fun. It's it it was I I had a a, a very enjoyable time watching it. Um Pat Casey and Josh Miller are the writers of this movie, and they wrote the Sonic the Hedgehog movies, which are, are way more better. Way more better? You know they're, it. They're so much better than they should be. Okay. They These two guys understood the assignment, and like I think the Sonic movies are some of the best comic uh, video game movies, uh, if not the best comic uh, video game movies um, out there. Um, Tom A. A. Uh, Workola is the director, and I was looking up his IMDb, and he directed um, two very interesting movies that I saw, like on like the Sci-Fi Channel um, back in the day: Dead Snow and Dead Snow Two, Red versus Dead, where it's zombie Nazis in the snow kind of movies. Um, so and yeah, they were it, very gory, if I remember correctly. Yes. Um, so yeah, it's 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 super enjoyable. Uh, the thing that I like, I mean, there's not much to the plot, and there's not much to the story. That it's just you got to sit back, have your like, you know, have a hot toddy or a hot cocoa with whatever alcohol you want to put in it, and just like enjoy it. You know, if if I had to go more into detail and talk more about this movie than I already have, like it's a it Santa is totally cynical at this point. He's like, all kids want are video games and, and, you know, and, and it's like, they don't, they don't care about anything. And he's like, just like not into it anymore. And like, this is also like his moment to like rekindle his own love of being Santa Claus and taking care of people. There is also flashbacks to him in his pre Santa Claus life as like, a Norse warrior. He's got all these like Nordic tattoos. Uh, Cause like, there's like one point where there's like, you know, in action movies where like the lead is like, has his shirt off and he's like stitching himself up. That, that I, happened. I've heard a little bit of thirst trapping going on. Like there's a lot of like sexy Santa is what I hear. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, he's, you know, he's like, he's yeah, I could see that. Um, it's kind of like a, it's, it's the new, it's the new body type that I aspire to be. I just want to be jacked Santa um, <laughs> as, as I get more and more salt and pepper in my hair. Um, but yeah, uh, so he, so like the backstory is like he was a Norse warrior. Um, 
and this kind of tap like the little girl in this movie kind of like encourages him to tap back into him being a Norse warrior. He used to have a hammer. It's not Mjolnir. Um, but he but he finds a sledgehammer like in the shed and he's like, ho, ho, ho. Or he has he's got a couple also like not super memorable like catchphrases in this, but they were pretty good. Um, but like you can't really beat like ho, ho, ho or like ho, 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 motherfucker. So yeah. um, the villains in this are really fun. They're all like they all have like um John Leguizamo's codename is Scrooge. And then there's like, um, there's Frosty, Candy Cane, Tinsel, Jingle, Peppermint, Sugar Plum. Nice. Um, it's, it's, you know, I mean, it's like, it's a good adult movie for the holidays if you're just like, I don't want to watch Die Hard. <laughs> so I'm going to watch this instead. So I, I'm going to posit something are we in a leguizamino assance like he's now coming back and been in a bunch of films this year mm. um he was in the menu right and he's yeah. he was in encanto I, yeah so i mean we've got a lot of john leguizamo this year which is a surprise like in 2022 i didn't have john leguizamo is going to be in three films i see uh that's that's a pretty cool experience i mean my hope for 2023 is that he has a voice cameo in Super Mario Brothers. Yes. That's that would my be fun. that is my my wish. That's my Christmas wish for 2023. It, it it's not more Norse Santa, because that seems like you were really into that. I mean, I w I'd rather be Norse Santa, <laughs> you know, than than I mean, but you know, like I'm a big fan of of uh of David Arbor. Like, I think like he elevates any movie that he's in. Like, I think he might've been my favorite part of black widow and, um, you know, when he's underused in stranger things, I lose interest in stranger things. So yeah, you know, um, I, I think one thing I heard about it was, uh, I, I read a review of violent night and it said, um, David Harbor is so invested. No one else in the movie feels as invested as he is. Like, I think it's one thing I've seen with him in general is like that guy gives it his all to whatever character he's playing and mm -hmm. it, you can feel it. So the, the idea of him playing like a Jack Santa is, uh, just in my head it plays well. So I can only imagine what it feels like. Cause he's, he genuinely seems to give uh, his all in every role he's a part of. And, totally. uh, you know, in, in general, having a film where he gets to be the lead and he's Santa is, is pretty cool uh, for him, I think, at this point in his career. You know, as a guy who didn't think he would probably like every interview I've heard with him is he, he really didn't break until he was in his late 30s. And uh, it was a surprise even to him that he was breaking mm -hmm. and then getting in shape for Hellboy, where he like literally got to be like Jack David Harbour is uh not what he expect. So I think it's, it's cool that he's getting these like roles and these opportunities. Uh, yeah. cause you know, I, I definitely have a parasympathetic, uh, experience with him as a, a, in every interview, uh, he seems like a genuinely good dude and everybody always like every photo of him with everybody and every, all of his casts are like these big hugs and stuff like that. So, uh, he seems like a good dude, uh, from, yeah. from the way he's, he's represented on social media. Yeah. I, I would definitely, I encourage people. Yeah. Check it out. Like if you want, I mean, or just like, you know, if you don't want to, if you don't want to rent it or buy it now, just like next year, definitely check it out when it's, I'm sure it'll be streaming on some service for free or with yeah. your subscription. So add it um, to a 2023 Christmas viewing queue or something like that. Yeah, totally. 
Um, I'm going to jump over and we'll talk about Nanny. Uh, So this is a new film that was released on Amazon Prime. Um, It is a a film that was shown at a bunch of um, film festivals earlier in the year. Um, And it is the directorial debut of Nakayatu Jusu. Um, And it is a film where a woman from Senegal uh, comes to be a nanny for upper crusty white couple uh, in New York. And, uh, it's, it's an, it's a really interesting movie cause it's, it's very much, um, scoped around like, uh, horror tropes, but like, um, like stories of horror, I think that are inspired by a- African folklore. So there's a lot of things that a lot of imagery that I think comes directly from, from uh, some folklore, like there's spiders in the corners, there's mold that takes over. There's a lot of things that end up happening throughout the film that are a little uh, off-putting, but mm. it, the whole movie just feels um, uncomfortable. You have these amazing experiences of like, here's a woman who comes into someone's house and um, isn't part of the family, but has access and runs their worlds like and takes care of their daughter. Um, right. So let me name some of the actors that are in this because it, it's kind of a murderer's row of people I love to watch, um, oh, cool. which is really, really amazing. Uh, so it's Anna Diop. I, I, she's, she's exploding right now. She's so good in this film, but she's been in a bunch of other things and is about to be in a bunch more things, um, which is exciting. Michelle Monaghan plays the mother, uh, Amy, and I'm a ride or die. Michelle Monaghan's great. She's always believable. In this film, she plays like a sort of... Uh, slightly disconnected businesswoman uh and she's she's so believable uh and it, it's also really interesting to watch the relationship between uh Aisha the the nanny and her daughter grow and uh the relationship between her and her daughter wane uh throughout the film she's much more comfortable with her nanny um and then the father is Adam uh is uh, the character's Adam it's Morgan Spector who was just in Gilded Age and He's unbelievable. In this film, he plays sort of a kind of, dis- again, disconnected father who it definitely uh, seems like he's cheating on his wife, uh, gives you lots of impressions that that's the case. Um, the daughter is played, played by Rose Decker, and she's just this like um, precocious sort of uh, really like unbelievable energy against um, Anna. Like, the two of them together have a really playful but uncomfortable ability to be um, in one scene. They're comfortable in playing in the next scene. Um, Rose is becoming a little monster child and like not listening. Um, and there's only so much that uh, Aisha can do as the nanny. And there's like cameras in the house. So she's, she's aware that the, fa- the parents are probably watching. So discipline is interesting, right? Like it's, it's all these like uncomfortable moments is what the film mm-hmm. feels like. Um, it's not a movie that you're ever going to be all, like settled into your couch. It's, you know, I often joke like, you know, you don't, you bought the whole couch, but you only use the front three inches. Like that's the kind of film this is. You're, you're never going to settle, um, mm-hmm. into this movie. And it's not the type of film I usually like seek out, but I was really impressed with, um, a lot of the visual choices that were being made. I think, uh, on a Diop is, is unbelievable. And also the, the male, the person who ends up f- falling or, or interacting with uh, Aisha is uh Sinequa walls. And he's unbelievable. He's got this like char- charismatic, uh, 
believability about him. He plays the security guard in the building. They meet. There's instant chemistry between the two of them. Like it's it's almost like you feel like you're watching a cartoon. Like there's like lightning like comes out of his eyes when he sees her the first time. Like his eyes like turn into hearts. Right. Like it's palpable when you see them the first time. Um, And then they happen to run into one another as she comes off the train in her neighborhood. And they have a really great exchange where she's just, he's like, you're from Africa. And she's like, yeah. And he's like, you going to tell me? And she's like, no. And uh, she's like, uh, I'm from a country that starts with an S and he goes through like Sierra Leone. And he's like, he's playfully playing with her as he's walking on the street. And then he gets to Senegal and he's like, Oh, look at me. I figured it out. Like, and there's just so like so much ease and like game that he has, but mm-hmm. it, it's so comfortable. Like their interactions are very like playful and it feels like natural flirtation. Like you've experienced that. Like I, you know, we all have when you, when you connect and vibe with somebody and, and that, that spark of, of getting their, them to smile for the first time. Like mm-hmm. it's so that like, so many little aspects of this film just made me feel good. And so much of it was just this deep despair in these other scenes. So it's, it's a really great experience. I think you should watch it. I think the way it ends up is very much a surprise to me. And, and I did not see it coming. Um, and, and I think the use of, uh, I am sure this was shot during the pandemic. It's, it's a small film. So much of it takes place in like the apartment of the family or on the sidewalk or in the park, you know, they're, they're the you, It feels like it could have been done anytime, but it feels like it's almost tailor made to make during a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, very clever without it feeling pandemic is the Ooh. way I would put it. Um, and honestly, just so much, so much good in this film. I, I think it's probably like, in my opinion, it's probably a three and a half star film with a, with a heart on, on letterbox, the way I would put it. And uh, I am very interested to see uh, what this writer director does next. Uh, the Film Spotting podcast does a, a their annual awards, and they do the Golden Brick Award, which is an up and coming director. And I feel like this is the type of film that they often talk about. Like I'm intrigued by this film, but I'm more intrigued by what they're about to do after this. Like that's that's the exciting combination of somebody like this seeing a directorial debut like this and being like somebody so assured, so confident in the film that they are making. Um, it, and I, it's, it's very inspiring to know that this is their first film, like, and like it got the money, it got these people, right? Like there's a lot going on here that you have to think about, like when you're going to wrap an entire, uh, budget around this single auteur and it's their, their directorial debut. That's pretty cool. Very cool. Yeah. Definitely want to check it out on Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime. Yep. Awesome. Uh, well, I'm going to jump back over to some Christmassy goodness before we get into our main review. Uh, not a lot to watch this week, but uh, I did. Um, I've been I've been seeing this image as I was scrolling through my streaming services a lot. Um, and I finally uh, decided to watch a Hollywood Christmas on HBO Max. Um, this is a very cute, almost like. There's like a, there's like a, uh, what is it? There's like a, uh, mm, what am I trying to say? I'm, I'm leaning in for those of you not watching us. Uh, John's, John's doing it. He's doing the best to like p- pull me into his. Sorry. World. What? No, seriously. What happened? So I'm at my house and i'm at my house and i'm all alone and i'm all of a sudden 
um, my Alexa started playing Christmas music in the background and it totally <laughs> threw me off. And I'm like, why is there, why is there Chris? Like, why is she and him playing in the background <laughs> for Christmas? So it freaked me out. Violent I'm back. Day. It's the I'm back to- now. I know, right? There's <laughs> someone in the house. Um, so I, I, I went on my phone and I paused my music. Fine work, fine can, work. Now I can focus back on what I was talking about, which was a Hollywood Christmas. Um, this is a really, it's a really funny movie that takes place in, like, for all the, like, all the times that I talk about Hallmark, like, channel movies, this is a Christmas movie about making Christmas movies. So I think that that was really cute. And... It's about a director who's trying to finish her latest movie and the studio uh, comes to her and is like, hey, we are cutting our Christmas movie division. And she's like, what? No, I need to get this movie done. And then the person who told her is a very good looking kind of studio executive. So there's like Christopher. uh, Josh. Yes. Yes. So, uh, yes. And, um, so it's like, there's like a Hollywood, there's like a Christmas movie happening outside of the Christmas movie. So it's like a movie within a movie. It's very cute. Um, I think, you know, Jessica Van, who is the, is the director, shout out to her Asian American pride. Uh, and, um, I think she's a, she's a great leading lady, but also, um, uh, special consideration and love to Anissa uh, Borrego, Mm -hmm. uh, who is like her assistant. Um, This, this actress has the most recognizable voice that I've never heard before. And and it's so high pitched and so cute. She's like the assistant to the director played by Jessica. And she's the one who's like, Oh my God, you're in a Christmas movie. And like, she always pops into the, the screen is like oh my gosh this is the big thing that you're gonna have to overcome or it's like oh uh-uh, you can't kiss him yet because it's not snowing yet <laughs> this is the christmas miracle um so it's like it's it's really charming you know um it's on it's on hbo max this is a movie that i feel like could have been on the hallmark channel yeah um i don't know how it made it over to hbo max but it did but i'm happy i found it and um, so I have hopefully- a question. Missy Pyle's in it. Is she does she have anything fun to do? She played Teresa Frost. Yeah. So Missy Pyle, she is the studio executive. Uh, okay. she, she does a little bit of singing. She's the person that they have to convince to keep the the um, the hol- the Christmas the division around. Division. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but she she comes in later in the movie so she's kind of like a a little bit of a a reveal as well cool so yeah um awesome i i feel like this is the kind of thing you you are much more willing to jump in and be like here's a wacky christmas movie i'm going to spend 90 minutes of my life in um but i I think it's the kind of thing that like my wife loves like i came home after seeing babylon last night i walked in the door at like 11 45 because i went to like an eight o'clock showing and there's just the end of a lifetime movie happening when I walk in the door and she's snuggling with the dog. And I'm like, yeah, this makes total sense. Uh, it was nice for me to be out of the house so she could watch a bunch of Christmas stuff. Um, 
So I think we should jump in. I, we have a new section this week because uh, we've, we've been lucky enough to see a lot of these films and review them ahead of time, but they're getting wider releases this week. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're going to call it the release recommendation. So uh, this week you've got, uh, as of today, Glass Onion, The Knives Out Mystery is available for streaming on Netflix. Uh, we've done a full podcast main review of it, and we also did a review of it in passing um, on our Middleburg podcast about the Middleburg Film Festival. Um, so that's available on December 23rd on Netflix. If you haven't yet seen it, uh, I don't know that we can give it a higher recommendation. I had such a great experience seeing it the first time. I was really excited oh, yeah. to see it again. Uh, I'm really excited to watch it with my wife and possibly her mom uh, this upcoming weekend. I think it's going to be it's, – it's a great old-fashioned uh, modern take on the whodunit. It's, it's – yeah charming and fun. The cast is amazing. It's sort of the idea of best ensemble that you see in things like SAG. I think this is a film that is eminently uh, part of that conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally agree. Um, the next one is uh, we get a limited release of Women Talking uh, in theaters on Christmas Day. I guess, again, a film that should probably be part of the best ensemble conversation. It's an unbelievable cast uh, uh, across the board. There's I think like eight main female characters and then one male character that spends most of the film with them. Um, Boy, what an amazing film. Uh, Still hovering right near the top of my list of the year. Um, It's powerful. It's moving. Uh, I'm a little concerned with their tap dancing around with release dates that happened. It was supposed to be a limited release at the beginning of December. So it would have been in full release by Christmas and they've decided to, to move it to Christmas day, not even the 23rd or the 22nd um, for its limited release start. And then there, it goes wide in January. So I, I don't know if they're trying to ride the wave into the Academy nominations, but I, it feels like they're, they're playing a dangerous game here of not enough people seeing it um, and, and critical buzz happening. The, there was huge critical buzz for this all throughout the film festival circuit uh, but it's been very quiet, and uh, I'm really interested to see how this unfolds this week. Yeah, it seems like a very interesting movie to release on Christmas Day. Yeah, it, it's definitely not a, a, an uplifting film as a starting mm-hmm. point. Yeah, um, but it intense. is. We we did discuss it a little bit in our podcast about Middleburg. Uh, I was it was. My my the experience of seeing it there was one of my favorite experiences of this year, um, only trumped by Triangle of Sadness. I think that that is my one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had in a theater. And then the next one will be White Noise. So we're probably not going to get back to you before December thirtieth. And uh, White Noise, uh, the new and no, new Noah Baumbach film, uh, will be released on Netflix on the twenty on the thirtieth. Um, it'll also get a limited release in theaters, uh, so it'll be definitely getting an Oscar it, for the Oscar nomination possibilities. Um, but we talked about it a little bit on uh, the Middleburg Film Festival podcast because I got to see it there. Um, I think it's a film you should go into with your eyes wide open. It's based on a novel that people felt like was unfilmable and was sort of not able to be made into a movie. Uh, mm-hmm. In the end, I was pleasantly I had never read the novel. I was pleasantly surprised by the film. And I think uh, Adam Driver, Greta Gerwig are an amazing duo to put on film as a, as a couple. Uh, and they, they're just both amazing actors. It's such a fun film um, in the weirdest ways. Uh, and Noah Baumbach is a blast. Uh, I'm so excited to see what ends up happening. Uh, the re- I don't know how it's going to be taken by criti- the public at large. 
Um, I think the critics have either loved it or been like, meh, but I think there's for, for the right people, that's the kind of film that really will get stuck in your head and you'll never stop thinking about it. It's there's so many like visuals in this movie that are really fun. Uh, in the trailer, you see that the car actually their car, their station wagon ends up in a, in like a Creek and is sliding down the Creek sideways. And there's a really great sequence where the kids are having this fight and conversation in the car. And finally, Adam driver's like, uh, is anybody going to acknowledge that we're in a river? Like, uh, you know, it, it's, it's really quirky and fun and has that like, uh, sort of, um, like almost fable like quality, uh, to its storytelling. Um, and, and Adam driver plays this really broad caricature esque character, um, and is grounded in it, which is unbelievable. Like he's, he's both extremely broad and very relatable, which I, I don't know is possible. Uh, it's a combination, I think of really great writing by Noah Baumbach and Adam driver, just really being al- aligned to what the director is trying to do. Cool. Yeah, I'm excited to see that one. I, I was not able to catch it yet. So it, it is in theaters, I think, now, though. Uh, I think it might have a limited release right now. Yeah. Yeah, I just like uh, did a quick search. Uh, it's not playing near me. I mean, it's I could go into the city and see it at the Angelica. Yeah. Uh, and then there's one theater in all of New Jersey that's playing it. <laughs> So probably one of those like extremely limited openings, maybe like 300 theaters or something like that would be my guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the some Uber really interesting films that I feel like I, I was lucky enough to get to see a little bit early. Um, all three of those I saw at Middleburg and uh, it's definitely uh, making me look forward to next year's Middleburg. Uh, just the fact that all these films are landing one after the other. Mm-hmm. Um Super fun. So uh, I think that's it for recommendations. Uh, we should jump into our main review. Uh, so here we are, John. Babylon. Are. So we're going to talk about Babylon, uh, written by Damien Cazell. Is that how you pronounce his name? I think it's Chisnell. It's Chisnell? I believe so. Uh, written directed by him. Chisnell. Yeah. You may have known him from La La Land. Uh, what else has he done? Whiplash. Ah, uh, yes. Um, yeah. Uh, he wrote 10 Cloverfield Lane, which uh, I was not aware of. So that's a quick skim of his IMDb. Yeah. Uh, so this is, uh, so Babylon is, is his kind of three hours and three hour and eight minute opus uh, of um, the transition in Hollywood from silent films to talkies and how that affects uh, uh, d- uh, a varied group of people, I would say. Um, you have um, Brad Pitt, um, who is like you know like a silent movie leading man, action star, top of his game. You have Margot Robbie, who is like the starlet up and coming in the uh, in the in the uh, silent movie world, um, and then. You also have Gene Smart in the movie, who is like the Hollywood critic. You have Diego Calva, who kind of comes from nothing. He he seems like he's like he wants desperately to just be a part of Hollywood. Yep. And uh, you kind of uh, witness his kind of rise from like not knowing where he wants to, like how he wants to be a part, um, and then all of a sudden just getting thrown into like all these like insane tasks and he just succeeds at all of them um, until he ascends to being a studio executive. Um, 
You also uh, some other people that I are, are I think are worth mentioning is you have uh, Jovan Adepo uh, who plays Sidney Palmer who he is um he's a uh, a black trumpet player um you know and with the in, in, like and he was always playing these movie uh, these uh, parties and stuff these insane parties that they would have um and then he gets kind of hired to to play on set when when they become live music and then all of a sudden the camera gets turned on him in the sense that he is more interesting sometimes than what they are wanting to film so he kind of becomes a quick rising star yeah um and then i would say uh lee jun lee is an interesting story of uh a chinese or you know like a chinese american who was in the st- at least in the movie she's like in the studio but not in a in front of the camera aspect she is the person who kind of writes this st- like it seems like in silent films they just like film stuff yeah and then like uh, lee jun lee's character was the one who kind of like writes the dialogue afterwards and puts it on uh slates um so kind of seeing her role and her jobs in the in the world of hollywood was pretty interesting um yeah i'm gonna throw it over to you sure to hear a little bit of what you thought and then we we can start bouncing ideas off of each other yeah, so I think this is a film that um, I was really excited to see. Uh, I have been, I so one other film that we should note is uh, in Damien Chazelle's background is also First Man. So uh, it was Whiplash, La La Land, First Man. He did a film called uh, The Stunt Double, which I didn't see, and Babylon. Uh, so that is the sequence that we've gone through as a with him as a director. Um, I, I feel like. Uh, my first thought going into this is uh, this is going to be sort of his answer to La La Land. I feel like a lot of, he got a lot of criticism of being like a tourist in Hollywood and, and uh, feeling like there was gauzy, a, a gauze put in front of the lens all the time about like his love and, and the, his love of, and not knowing uh, Hollywood and it's, and so it was a very like uh, almost People talked a lot about like La La Land feeling like a naive approach to Hollywood, um, and this I think uh, is 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 almost positioned as like the answer to that. Like La La Land is just like cool, cool. I love Hollywood. This is just like we're gonna go deep into Hollywood lore, warts and all, and show it for what it was. And uh, it, you know, the film is not what I expected. Is the way I would put it. I there's a lot more in it that is visceral and uh, disturbing than I was expecting. It's not the type of thing I've seen uh, him do as a director before, but I also think uh, he has pulled together an unbelievable cast to tell the story. Um, And it's driving music uh, from the opening scene all the way through the credits um, really keeps your heart rate elevated. And then, and on top of it, this unbelievable cast doing some really wacky stuff at times. Um, Margot Robbie's character uh, is a, you know, wannabe starlet at the beginning of the movie uh, drives up to uh, the house of a big giant party that's happening. It's a studio party. Fatty Arbuckle is in it uh, in in a quick moment. Uh, Sort of, there's a lot of, 
nods to people across the silent film world. Um, and, and a lot of people that are a part of that space. Uh, I am not a silent film historian. I listened to a podcast, uh, film spotting this week where one of the people on it, uh, has an entire Substack dedicated to silent films. And, uh, she talked about the fact that there's so much history brought to the screen in Babylon. Like so much of what is here is inspired by real films that happened, real people in the studio system, um, almost a hundred percent of the time. Like somebody made a comment about like Brad Pitt's wives, Jack's wives all being like one note. And, uh, and she very pointedly said like, these are based on real people. Like it, it it's slightly heightened in the movie, but this is who these people were. Um, and, and I think that that's the, what we're seeing here is sort of a slightly distorted historical view of what Hollywood was like in this time period. And, uh, I, so, so let's start with the things I really loved. I, I love Margot Robbie. I think she is uh, a charisma machine. Like she's also her character is a chaos monkey. Uh, from the moment she arrives on screen, you can't take your eyes off of her. Uh, no one can take their eyes off her. No, mm-hmm. no character, no, the audience, the characters in the movie, right? Like there's, we, we we're all enchanted at the same time, which is unbelievable. Um, and it's believe and. and on top of the fact that like she is the center of attention, she's also this extremely insecure woman uh, who is not of that world. She she's a kid from Jersey uh, who is bolstery to the point of like bravado, um, but lives in a world where everything revolves around her from her perspective. But it's it's all sort of fake. Uh, you know, she turns into she she does every drug possible. She she's constantly gambling, right? Like there's a lot of downfalls to that. Also, I feel like there's lots of ways her excess comes back to haunt her um, all throughout the film. But at the beginning, you get this really great moment of her like pulling up to the party and crashing into a fountain in front of the house, and the security guard being like, "Ma'am, you're gonna have to pay for that." And then he asks her her name, and she's like, tells him his name, and he's like, "You're not on the list." And she's like, "Of course I'm on the list," and like. That's when we run into Manny, the the character played by Diego, and he is basically the assistant who's responsible for getting the party and taking her all the crap that needs to be done for a party. And he's like, yeah, she's with me because uh, he's immediately enthralled with her. So, you know, there's a really great moment of like watching Margot Robbie go from this sort of chaos monkey at the beginning to being really revered as a silent film star. And then as the talkies start happening, her downfall, right? Like she's not well-spoken. They character characterize her ability to, uh, you know, be in spoken film because she doesn't have a great voice and she doesn't memorize things well. And she's not like a classically trained actress. It's, you know, so you get a lot of that also coming back on her. Um, I would say like uh, Brad Pitt probably deserves an Oscar nod for this film as a best supporting actor. Uh, he is so good as the sort of, uh, 82 films into his career actor from the silver from the, from the uh, silent film era that moves into the talkies and can't find any footing. Uh, he, time is past Time's passed him by the film industry's passed him by. Um, and he's so good as this sort of um, extremely confident, extremely broken uh, older actor. Uh, it, it almost reminds me a little bit of Leo in once upon a time in Hollywood. Um, but less over the top, like less explosive. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like, um, I, I mean, I think that, I think that, I think that the entire, I think that 
this I think it's a great cast and I think they're super talented from top to bottom. Yeah. Um I I personally had uh, I had issues with just I think that to me the the characters besides Brad Pitt were not written to be very likable characters. Yep. Um I, I like as the movie progressed um I started not liking Margot Ro- like Margot Robbie performed amazingly. Yes. But I was like, I hate this character. Um, and um, unfortunately, like like Manny, um, like Diego Calva's character, Manny, he he loves her. And like he and he says in 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 Spanish, like he loves her, like like almost immediately. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it's almost like a as the movie as the movie goes on, like they're 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 lives kind of go in and weave in and out of each other until the very end where they're like very closely woven together but she's given him no reason yeah to love like for him like like she 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 throughout the entire movie like there's no reason why he should love her except the fact that like he's like enthralled by her and maybe because i'm like (laughs) maybe tm i'm like maybe i've been in those predicaments before when i was much younger but i was like you're effing idiot and <laughs> and and f you for being an idiot um yeah it's hard because he's i think supposed to be our surrogate right we're supposed to see the world right. a little bit through his eyes yeah so when we first meet margot robbie's character right like she's bigger she's this like chaos machine right like she mm-hmm. just gen- generates chaos wherever she goes but yeah. is also the life of the party is all that and without her realizing it she has walked past the person who probably cares about her the most Mm-hmm. And it doesn't even acknowledge it, you know, and yeah, and they constantly right. They keep ending up in the same orbits. He ends up becoming a studio executive. He tries desperately to save her career when the talkies become a thing. You're like, yeah, and she and, keeps blowing it. Yeah. You know, like it, it's just uh, it, it, if, 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 if the idea is to show that like the Hollywood system corrupts everybody. Yeah. It to- they, this movie totally succeeded. Um like I found like I found like Brad Pitt's character to be kind of the most relatable in the film because he's just a guy who like he was on top of his game and he didn't and that's and he knew he was on top of his game and he was it was interesting because he was always like we have to push the we have to push the art form you know movies you know uh move because like back in those days like theater was very elitist and like theater was considered acting and then movies were not. But like he was like, if you look at theater and film now, it's like everyone wants to be in film and, and he was forward thinking in that way, but he didn't have the goods to deliver once, once they, once, it, once he got there. Yeah. And I think that that's very, that was very tragic. And um, like, yeah, I felt like he, he was the most well-rounded character. Um, it, that was the, the, the that was written um in the movie yeah it's it's interesting how the movie starts cuz like even before even before the title shows we have this super long super extravagant super graphic yep uh party um it's 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 the thing that is in all the trailers it's in the yep. movie poster um it's just like debauchery to an 11 yep um but even before that which i like which was interesting is like you have like 
an like a just like a dirt a dirt patch field and all of a sudden this like really nasty truck pulls up and they have to get this elephant in this truck to be a part of this party they're pushing this elephant with two cars up this huge hill yep it starts to fall back and then all of a sudden graphically this elephant shits all over this guy yep and what a way to start a movie about Hollywood. And I yep. was like, you definitely have something to say. Yeah. <laughs> you definitely have something to say about Hollywood and, or, or, or what are like, what exactly are you trying to say? But it's, it, the movie is a, it's, it's very intense yep. and, and it's a sensory overload. And to me, I was like so overloaded before even the word Babylon hit the screen that I was like, I need a break. Like I yeah. need an intermission. Um, so yeah, it, it was, I mean, there's, there's, a, I, I liked a lot of elements in this movie, but I'm not sure if I had the best time watching this movie. So I, I think I was trying to think about this last night cause I just saw it last night. So it's been mm-hmm. less than 12 hours since I finished watching the film. Um, and I, I think it's a, for me, it's like a three and a half to four star movie that I didn't like is the way I would put it. Mm-hmm. Like there's so much good going on in this film. I think Margot Robbie is unbelievable. I think that Brad Pitt is fantastic. I think, you know, Diego Calva is really good as our surrogate. I, I'm really impressed. Jean Smart is fantastic. She's She gives like one of the best speeches about Hollywood and a, mm-hmm. to, to Brad Pitt's character uh, because she writes an article about him being washed up basically. And they've known each other for a long time, but she's like genuine and honest with him in a way that no one else is. Um, it's it's unbelievably powerful. Like there's tons of really great little cameos. You've got Flea playing an executive in, and he's really good. Like he shows up and he's he's like a different energy than everybody else. Um, he's having a good year too. He is. He really is. Didn't, what, what else was he in recently? I forget. But anyway. Uh, he was in Mandalorian. Was it, was he in Bodies Body Bodies too? Also, uh, I don't know. He was in one of the Star Wars television shows for sure. He steals Leia, so it might have been uh, Obi Wan. Oh yes, he was in Obi Wan Kenobi. Yeah, cool. So yeah, he's having a pretty good year for sure. Yeah, but I, I think that here's my biggest gripe with the film. It is it is not the graphic nature. It is not. It it feels like Damien Chazelle was like, I have one film to make for the rest of my life and I'm going to put it all on the screen. Um, The movie's three hours and seven minutes long. I think that I was able to count like five distinct storylines. I I think there are really three major leads of the film in lots of ways. Um, You could even expand it to maybe four, to be honest. Um, If we think like Margot Robbie's character, uh, uh, Brad Pitt's character, Diego Calva's character, and uh, the trumpet player. Yeah, Jovan uh, Adepo, Sidney Palmer. Yeah, so Sidney, like those four are the main leads of the film. So much so that I think there could have been uh, two films here, right? Like I, I almost wish he had created before Babylon and after Babylon. Like mm-hmm. if he had cut this film in half, I'm sure there's more footage on the, on the cutting room floor that could have fleshed out either one of them. And then they could have cut some of the stuff that feels like fat in each one of those sections. I think there's yeah. like two good hour, 38 minute films secretly trapped inside this film. 
Yeah. Um, Cause I was seriously exhausted. I, I you know, I oh, saw, yeah. I saw an eight o'clock showing. I was, I was fine going in. I, I wasn't tired. I drove home. I was so yeah. on, on a high because I was really excited to see this film. So it wasn't my physical exhaustion. I was mentally worn out by the end of this film. Yeah. I mean, there, there are multiple times in the film where I was like, cool credits, let's go. <laughs> I was like, and credits yeah. and done and done. Um, yeah, the film seems overly indulgent um, at at parts, and I feel like I feel like it's a bit of a book report. <laughs> I felt a little hot. I felt like it was a little hollow. In like, we're just gonna. I'm gonna tell you everything about this time period, and I'm not gonna leave anything out. Yeah. Um, like that's the thing. Like I felt like the performances were great, but like what they had to say, what they were doing, there was like just like there was like something missing. And um, I cannot not uh den- like I can't get over the fact that um this is just singing in the rain. It's an R-rated version of Singing in the Rain. Singing in the Rain is one of my top three movies of all time. So. All of a sudden, I'm like, wait, th- what? This is, I, I was like, am I just, I'm just watching like an R rated version of Singing in the Rain. And then all of a sudden, not in the right time period, they start singing, Singing in the Rain in the movie. Yeah. And I got so confused. I'm like, okay, so. Like I know these characters are based off of real characters, but this must be an alternate timeline where some somehow they're doing singing in the rain. And then, I mean, spoilers abound. Y- like years go by and, and at the end of the movie, I wouldn't say who the character is that sees it, but okay, but at the end of the movie, they go see singing in the rain. Yeah. And I was like, wait, Singing of the Rain came out in like 1950, like the late 50s. That would make this character like ancient. Who's seeing? No, it was it was 52, which is I think the year that we were supposed to be in. Okay, well then, then thumbs down to makeup and effects because (laughs) that person didn't age a day. (laughs) He had a little pooch in his stomach, but other than that, he didn't look much. Yeah, but. At this point, too, this is why I felt like it It felt like a book report. And it's like there was a and to summarize part of the movie. <laughs> and I was like, first off, like I when I had seen the movie, um, there was a there was an elderly couple sitting near me. Wow. OK. Who decided they needed to talk about the movie and discuss the movie as it was going on the entire time. They were so confused at this point. They were like, what is happening? And I was just like, I grew up. First off, I grew. I don't know where I'm going with all of this. First and foremost, I grew up loving Singing in the Rain. It's one of my favorite movies of all time, like I said. Mm-hmm. I also loved this thing called like that's hollywood which was a tv series on pbs hosted by gene kelly and everything like that and it kind of went through it kind of went through like you know like a documentary series about like the creation of all this stuff and that's exactly what we got at the end 
It was mm-hmm. just a to summarize. Here's everything that's good or everything that's bad about Hollywood. I just like was like, where is this coming from? Yeah, and and in the and then the in our our three, <laughs> this is this is where we're going. Like this is that's why I felt like it was a very book reporty. Yeah, I I I'm. I'm I don't want to talk anymore about the details near the end or the last like 40 minutes of the film. Mm-hmm. There there's a turn. There's a character that uh, is shows up uh, that is played by it's a crazy cameo. He is chewing the scenery. Uh, and then it, it was it, an eye roll for me, to be honest. It, it literally just feels like you just you went into a different film for about 25 minutes mm-hmm. that I don't they were think. So they were also a producer on the film, by the way. Um, it doesn't, in my opinion, add anything to the story except uh if any of this is true boy hollywood was more depraved than we were aware um but the acknowledgement the one thing i do want to call out that might make you laugh i I don't know how you felt uh they get to that spot in the film and there's like a palachi italian clown sitting Mm -hmm. under a street light Uh, none of this made i was like how did that person i want to see that guy's film like i want to see the film of like how that guy ended up sitting there when they're coming in because uh, yeah. it's just so random. There's so much randomness that happens in that like 30 minutes. Um, uh, you know, you you mentioned you felt like it was a little self-indulgent. I think this is a film that to me proves uh, that sometimes we need auteurs to, to have a little bit more of an editorial feel to their final product. Because um, mm-hmm. this is a film, like you said, is it, it, it overindulges in the details Mm-hmm. It tries to tell you everything it knows about the yes. subject matter, and it's not a, a refined story. It just feels like it's a it's it's like hundreds of pages of a script thrown onto the screen, and we're gonna kind of uh, tell a, four stories in that hundred hundred and seventy five pages of script. Uh, there's yeah. a there's a lot going on in this film. Yeah, there. Were, I mean, it got to the point where I that. I was like, am I not smart enough? Am I not missing what this is? Is this the is this like a Greek tragedy? Is this like the Odyssey? Like is this is this Faustian now? Like are we in the rings of hell? Like I I I kept question like once you get into like hour two thirty, you're like, you know, you're like, why why is this stuff happening? Yeah. Am I missing something? And you're you're thinking so much about why things are being told instead of listening to what they're being, what's being told to you. Yep. Um, yeah, it, it, it's a, it's, it's tough. It's, it's a, it's. I, I, did, I feel like I, there's, this is the second film this year that I've seen Margot Robbie in where she was awesome. And mm-hmm. the film let her down in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the first one? Off the top Amsterdam. Of Ah, uh, right, right. Yeah. Well, we've got Barbie, and I think she's going to kill it in Barbie. <laughs> uh, I am, yes. I am so excited about Barbie. Uh, I, I think that's, you know, I don't know that there's much more that we can say about it. I think I my, my biggest thing is, if you're going to see this film and you're interested in it, um, know going in, it's a lot darker and a lot more depraved than you thought it was. I do not know how this film didn't get an NC-17 rating. I totally agree. Like when I was, when you're watch, like literally when you're watching the first th- three minutes, maybe, maybe five minutes, uh, like once you officially get into that opening party, I was like, blonde gets an NC, 
NC-17, but this doesn't get an NC-17, who's getting paid off here? You know what I mean? It's, it's or, re- what, or what did they cut to yeah. make to make the R rating? I, I, right. So there's, there's probably like a three hour and 40 minute cut of this film that has got more debauchery. And they were like, mm-hmm. well, you can't have this and you can't have, like, yeah. um, but I will say like, it, it's not just, so it's, it's like, it's sex, it's sexual kink, it's violence, it's drug use, it's, uh, it's gunplay. It's not like, it, it, there's just so many things in this mm-hmm. film that any one of them could have tipped it over the edge. And I, yeah. I don't know. I, I came out of the theater thinking like, God, this would be a really strange film to take my mom to see, you know, mm-hmm. like it's the kind of film that like she, my mom is born in 1940. Uh, so it's a film that it, the second half of it all takes place in her lifetime. And mm-hmm. she would have likely seen a lot of these talkies, uh, I know my dad did for sure. He he's the, the, he was one of those kids that went to the Nickelodeon, right? Like, and mm-hmm. for eight cents or whatever, saw three films, you know. Um, but I think there's a really interesting place here for wh- who is the audience for this film? That's That was the other thing I kept trying to figure out. Like, okay, cool. This is like a bombastic, over-the-top version of what Hollywood was. And there's yeah. a lot of books that have talked about this. Uh, I think the title actually comes of the movie comes from a book. Um, that that uh, was written about that those silent picture era film times. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, yeah, I don't know who the audience is for this. Like, I, this is not a general consumer type film. I, I don't even know where I would market this. Mm. Yeah, it's. I mean, that's that's why we have the trailer that we have because I think it's very. It's very misleading. Yes. Um, it doesn't really. It shows you all like the sexy, a- actiony, comedic stuff about yeah. the movie, but does not show you any of like the excessive drug use. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of heartbreak and a lot of sadness in the film. Um, yeah, my walk away is like sadness. Right there's a, there's a melancholy in this film mm-hmm. that I wasn't expecting. And, um, yeah, uh, like, um, the thing that I, I, I forgot the thought I was about to say, but I remembered another thought. Okay. So one of the scenes I really, really thought was very cool, um, was them watching the jazz singer for the very first time. Yeah. And they Thankfully, they don't actually show actual footage of Al Jolson in blackface, but the, you see the audience yep. witnessing someone talking, a talking film, projections of light making sound for the very first time. Yeah. And then they just like erupt in applause, euphoria. It's like the greatest thing they've ever seen in their life. And it made me think. I don't know if we'll ever. Ex- I don't know if we'll ever experience that kind of moment in our life. I'm. Tr- I was literally trying to think. I'm like, well, 3D didn't do that. Come uh, on, man. You know, like Pandora, IMAX, f- Pandora four- did it, but not to the point where people are st- like going insane. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. VR, you can't. VR is such a an 
individual experience that you can't share it with people. Yeah. Um, like I'm just like, I, I was like, wow. When people like saw in a movie theater, like me, like lights and sound at the same time, like what, a what that must've been like. And I can't think of anything that can compare to it, which kind of makes me sad, but makes me very happy for the people who got to experience it. And I also think it's funny that in that very moment, Manny's character, like barely, like he pr- practically misses it. Yeah. Uh, because he's he's wrapped up with with um, Margot Robbie's character, and he kind of like comes in at like the very end and sits in the movie and like, you know, I don't think he really takes in what was on the screen, but he just takes in what everyone else was reacting to, and then calls Brad Pitt's character back up and is like, "This is going to be the future." It's like, yeah. Um, I don't know. Can you think of anything in our lifetime or do you, can you look into the future into your Robbie crystal ball? And like, what do you think it's something comparable to sound and film being married together? Um, I, I think if you go back and you think about it, the, the biggest probably transition like that was um, the, the system that played Pong was not widely distributed, but the first Atari 2600 is probably mm-hmm. as close or, or the Nintendo, the NES. Mm-hmm. Um, those are probably the two biggest transitions, but that's an at home experience that you could have had yeah. somewhere else. Yeah. So maybe it's the beginning, the birth of the like video game era would be, but I don't know if it had the same impact, right? Like yeah. there was a giant leap from pinball to the first video games. Sure. Yeah. Um, and I think that was, we all take that for granted today, but I think there's, the other one is the PC, right? Like the mm-hmm. the birth of going from vacuum tubes to um, microprocessors, I think is another one, right? Like when you can go like from, you know, a, a computer, a computing machine taking up an entire warehouse to having more power in my pocket than mm. NASA did when they went to the moon. It's insane, right? Yeah. You know? Um, I think they're there, but there's nothing as dramatic as what you're talking about from my perspective. Yeah. I mean, even, even like the introduction of technicolor and color into film, I think it's like, that's a huge step forward, but like, just like bring giving, giving these, these, you know, these light, these flickering little pictures of light that move a voice was such a huge impact on on the world. Um, one last person I want to shout out is um, the woman who plays the director. Um, oh yeah. So Olivia Hamilton is in this film as Ruth Adler, who's directing Margot Robbie's character in her first silent film. And that sequence is one of my favorite. It, it may be like, maybe I'm leaning in next week. We're going to do a, a, a 2022 wrap up show where we talk about all of our favorite things from the year. Um, and I think one of the, one of the segments should probably be favorite scenes and mm. watching uh, Ruth ask um, what's her name? Uh, what is her character's name? Uh, Nellie. Nellie. Roy? Yeah. Asking Ruth, Ruth asking Nellie uh, if she can cry and then them making a joke about like fake tears and the assistant director, it, like all that sequence is really fun. And then mm-hmm. when you see her for the first time, they call action and there's like a, a prolonged, like three beat. And then Margot Robbie cries on command and 
has these welling tears. Like I came home and was talking to my wife about it when I got home. Then her being asked to do it again and and take a pause of like two seconds before the tears well and fall. And then the third time of like having it be a single tear. There's so much like rolled up in uh, excitement in that one three minute sequence. If the, the rest of it where she's like flirting with the men in the bar and all, all that is fun. But the first time you see her reacting is like so unbelievably moving. And the fact that she has this natural ability that she doesn't need to fake tears that like we, we get a chance. It, it's sort of, the, in my opinion, the high point of how we see her character like mm-hmm. she has this natural charisma and is good at this, what she's being asked to do. And that's yeah. the last time we see that. Like it's so pure in that moment, but the reaction from the director is what I loved. Like her genuine, like we found something new, right? Like it, it it's, it's almost the same as like when they hear sound in the film for the first time, this director's worked with so many actors that she's just like, there's no way this diamond in the rough is going to be a diamond, right? Like, and, and you get that moment where you see her react to this next up and coming starlet. And it's just, there's so much exuberance in that scene and it's so much fun. Um, and it really, it might be my scene of the entire film, to be honest. Yeah, was, that was, that was a really great one. And she's really great in it. Yeah. Um, and I, and there's so much fun with that actress. I think, you know, she is sort of part of Damien Chazelle's, Troop. She's been in La La Land. She's been, she's been with him a couple of times, and she's, I, I she's, she's married to him. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I wasn't I mean, aware that's, of that. And I, I'm, I'm not going to say nepotism, but I, I mean, you know, it's, they're, they're, she they're, steals they're that very steal. close. I mean, yeah. it's it's yeah. unbelievable. Like as much as everything else that's going on, uh, there's also the first time they're making a talkie, and the sound guy yes. is driving everybody crazy. And the, watching the crushing defeat of her trying to direct a talkie because mm-hmm. everything isn't easy, isn't as easy yeah. as shooting a silent. But like watching her go from like this exuberance at the beginning to like we're making a talkie, it's going to be amazing. To like by the time they get to the third take and it's a, another cut, and then the sound guy calls cut because he's like. There's a squeaking noise. This is ridiculous. And he comes around the room with like a toner trying to figure out where the sound is. And then he's like, did you have surgery? And she's, you know, there's this admittance that she has like a pin in her ankle. And he's like, don't move your right ankle. Like, uh, it's It's it's, so interesting too. like back in those days, like how sensitive all that stuff was and how far things have come since then. I think she has this really great arc in the film. You see her a bunch of different times, but she, she adds so much seasoning to the scenes with Margot Robbie. They have really good chemistry but she's she doesn't overpower any one of those scenes. But it's it's all about her affect and and you believing where she who she is, what she's doing. She's she's powerful in those scenes, and I think you know we should yeah. we should acknowledge those types of little performances also. I think she's just yeah. fantastic. Yeah, and you know so much so like I remember enjoying every moment that she was on screen, and then not like you know like not to in in the three hours and eight minutes that we got, I was now that I'm thinking about, I'm like, well, what happened to her as like, what happened to that character as, um, as, as time progressed? Cause also in the movie, you know, when, when it's, when it's the silent films, it seemed like it was the wild West, but, but it was so much more, everything seemed kind of, like almost modern day where it's like you had a woman director and I was yeah. like, what? That's amazing. And you had, you know, 
I mean, granted, you had like you know blackface and things like that, and you had like people like beca- like being savages, and that's not very good. But once it like the movie seemed to show you that like once we got into like talkies, then everything be- started becoming more and more elitist and more conservative. Yeah, you know, and like it, it was interesting. Um, so I was like, wait, are you trying to say that like? We were better off with silent films. There, I don't know. I don't know what the thesis was. I, I'm with you. Yeah. My big takeaway is like I don't know. Was it was life better then? Did was Hollywood better? Like, yeah, it, it's confusing. Right? Like, yeah, there's. It's just like you would think with three hours and eight minutes that you would have a clearer voice, but too much time sometimes. Maybe you know. Yeah. Uh, I don't think there's a clear through line and, and the only really clear story that I, I walked away from was Jack's like mm-hmm. his story has an absolute beginning, middle and end for me. And almost, almost no one else's does Manny's sort of does, but like it, it peters out. We don't get yeah. a, We don't get a satisfying conclusion. Um, and, and, but Jack's I think is the one that uh, people will be talking about for a long time. I think, his performance in this is very like uh, assured leading man a, in a mm. character role, which I think is exactly where Brad Pitt shines the most um, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. I also think that his character was the most well-written um, because I think like, if you like, I think that he, I think Brad Pitt is a great actor. I think that he does a certain thing. And if you put the right words, in his mouth it all comes across amazingly like what i'm trying to say is like he's not doing very like he's not doing anything different that he did in like some of the other movies that he's recently done where he's like i'm the old guy who's stoic um but the the material's really good for him so that mixed with what he does it's 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 golden yeah Um, I think I'm good. Uh, I, I'm. Uh, it's a film I think that's going to stick with me for a long time. It's uh, so you know we can we can talk about the value of art, right? I don't mm-hmm. think this is a film I will forget. I don't think this is a film I I I don't know if I will buy it in 4K uh, Blu-ray, but I if it's not streaming in a high resolution, I will probably end up buying it. Uh, I'm so enamored with the soundtrack and the score. Um, yes, I expect that I will have that on vinyl sooner rather than later. Um, I, I expect that there are scenes in this film that will be used in a lot of people's Academy Award, uh, Lifetime Achievement Award type audience uh, experiences. Uh, when Brad Pitt uh, receives a Lifetime Award or Margot Robbie, or th- th- these are all scenes that will follow them forever, right? Like, well, they look great in them. So yeah, definitely, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think the the ability to like also shoot the movie in, set in the 20s and the 30s, uh, the 30s and the 40s and the 50s. And so much of it just looks like everybody's sweating. Like Margot Robbie mm-hmm. is like dewy and and like sweating all throughout the film because she's doing a ton of drugs. But like that adds to the fe- the visceral feeling, especially that opening party. Right. I'm, I'm just happened to see like uh, the video, the trailer and her laying on the floor smoking a cigarette in that red dress. And it's just that is. The, the visceral feeling of like the party atmosphere in that first 20 minutes. I, I don't know that anybody else has captured that on film in a long time and made me feel like 
this is debauchery central. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's an unbelievable first 20 minutes. And I think there are, there are clips of that that'll be used for a long time for a lot of these actors. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I, I totally, um, I also second the idea that, or the statement you made where the music is just phenomenal. It's intense at some point. Yes. Like it hits you in the face, but it's like such great music. Well, it's uh, driving and, and, and it's it's also yeah. diegetic, right? Like sometimes it is the music being played by the people in the scene. Um, yeah, exactly. And it really just makes the film feel more visceral and more alive. Um, it's not like a part of the background of the world. It is It is the world, right? The music mm-hmm. envelops the scenes in ways that I don't know that – this is one thing that I think Damien Chazelle does better than almost anybody else is that the use of music as a vehicle. He, he almost like um, – if like Quentin Tarantino is the king of needle drops, Damien Chazelle is the king of like using music – as like a jet stream for his films. Like he, mm. he attaches the film to the music and, and it, it drives it's, it's, it's cadence, it's tempo. It's he, he chooses very well how to, to pace his films around his music. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, almost since like, you know, Spielberg and, and John Williams, right? Like some of those pairings where like, you know, you cannot extrapolate Raiders of the Lost Ark or E.T. away from those themes, right? I think this is a film that like if you took away the, the soundtrack and the score, it wouldn't work as well. I think it's it's driven so much by the by the music. Yeah. Oh, by the way, because I'm because uh, I have the the IMDb page up for reference as we're doing this, it it, it constantly plays the um the trailer yeah. on repeat. That that person that you didn't want to spoil is in the trailer now. They've changed it. I mean, I've definitely seen him in a trailer. Uh, it's yeah. it's a caricature esque role. It's uh, yeah. it's very bizarre and doesn't yeah. feel like it's in the same film. So yeah. Good luck with that last 30 minutes, folks. Uh, <laughs> it's it's a film you should see because a lot of people are going to be talking about it. I think there'll be a lot of conversation about the Below the Line Awards. I think there's some definite possibilities here for uh, a few Above the Line categories. I, I, I It would be very surprising if this got nominated for Best Picture, if it got nominated yeah. for Screenplay, uh, if it got nominated for... I think Diego has a chance in best actor. That's a weird soft, like, but I don't know that he has a, he, there's so many leads in this film. It's, it's, it would be very hard for any one of them to feel like an actual lead. Yeah. Like I, just because of the way the world works, I would think that like you might want you, like some people would switch them, but I think if anyone's nominated as far as like male, male, male identifying actors go, like, Brad Pitt would get like best best lead and Diego would get like best supporting. And I think it's probably flipped if you talk about the the tone of the film and the, the sure. runtime. And um, I think that the best supporting actor world is a little harder to road to hoe this year. Uh, so mm. Brad dropping in there would be an interesting addition of chaos because he's really good in this film. Uh, I don't think he's revelatory, but I think what he's doing is, is uh, the character's well written. I think he does a really good job. Right. But also, the man doesn't need awards anymore. He won his award. Yeah. He said he was going to retire. And then he puts out these like really great performances, possibly not the greatest movies, yeah. but perf- really great performances post like I I'm I'm alluding to my retirement. Yeah. Um. I you know there's, there's something they talk about a lot on the Rewatchables podcast about like taking 
uh, stock and, and buying stock in an actor or an actress. I, I think if you bought stock in Margot Robbie uh, from the Wolf of Wall Street, no one has paid out more dividends, in my opinion. And I think the next sure, year yeah. is going to be unbelievable. I, I cannot imagine what her 2020, like if you look at her upcoming films, uh, she is working with auteur directors. She's working in giant films. Uh, her, her, her upcoming three are really unbelievably impressive just to have as in, in her, <laughs> in her filmography anyway, like Asteroid City is coming and Bar and Barbie are the two big ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Asteroid City is the next uh, Wes Anderson film, I believe. Cool. Yeah. So we've got Roman Coppola and Wes Anderson writing it and Wes directing it and Margot Robbie's the lead uh, with Tom Hanks, Scarlett Johansson, Steve Carell, uh, Ed Norton, Tilda Swinton, Hong Chow. Like Hong Chow is also another one like by stock. Like she, she's killing it in every film she's in. Uh, we, we didn't get a chance to talk about the whale. There's a lot of uh, back and forth right now. I think Hong Chow's performance in that film is unbelievable. We didn't talk about it very much, but boy, she's, she's amazing in that film. Yeah. And everything she does, she's pretty great. She really is. All right. Let's end it there. Uh, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Thank you so much, John, for ho, uh, ho, ho. all this amazing content we've been creating. It's super fun to try to break these films down. I, as you heard, I think we really spent a lot of time trying to diagnose and digest this film uh, because we both saw it in the last 24 hours. And I still think it's a film that uh, if you ask me about it again in a month, it'll probably be a different review um, Mm. because I won't have uh, as visceral a reaction to the like length to its like sort of messy, non uh, not really focused uh, individual story. Um, mm. but I do think it was an experience I'm glad I had and, uh, I, no surprises here, Margot Robbie and, and Brad Pitt, uh, put in great performances. Uh, I'm excited to see, uh, their next films. Like I was just talking about. So, uh, Merry Christmas. Thank you for being a part of this and, uh, follow us all over the place. We're geekonfilm.com, geekonfilm.com on Twitter, Instagram, rate and review us five stars. Merry ho-ho. Uh, what an amazing great gift that would be during the holiday season than a five-star review or just, you know, we'd love some, we'd love some feedback just like, Hey, we, I'm listening. Um, we've got some episodes in the, in, in our backlog that are still being listened to. So that's really great. Um, and yeah, hopefully this, you know, 2023 will be even better. I can't wait to talk about our, our year in review. Uh, talk to you next week. This has been a Geek on Film podcast. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.